podcast called Live in the Stream comes to you each week. Streaming recommendations during NFL season, it's not just tongue and cheek. Quarterback, defense, tight end recommendations based on opposition matchup. Here are your podcast hosts, JJ Zacharyson and Danny Carter, Living the Stream. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Living the Stream. I'm JJ Zacharyson, the late round quarterback, and I'm joined. By the loveliest of co-hosts, Denny Carter. Denny, what's cracking, man? Hey, not much, JJ. It's uh, it's good to have our uh, you know bi-monthly podcast. Oh, I know. It's got to change. It's got to change. We're it, finally. It's it's June now. It's late June. Of course, of course. And and I have to say, I'm I'm you know very happy. Uh, uh, today I, I came home from work and in, in uh, uh, Xavier, my 18 month 18 month old son um, started throwing the, his little football to me. You know, for wow. the first time. Wow. Uh, that's yeah, big. I was pretty pretty excited. A, a nice, nice, you know, nice tight spiral. Obviously, is he and, is he doing uh, it like RG three or Joe Flacco? Like which which side is he going to lean, or or is he going to be like Daddy? No, he's. I mean, he's elite. He's elite. So okay, he's, okay. Not, he's not like Flacco. Okay, um, that's good. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm just excited because you know, eventually he might be able to play. He might be able to suffer a concussion. We can sue and, and become millionaires. Nice. That's the way. That's the way to think. That's the. I think. I think that that's the best case scenario for for everybody involved. So now you're uh, you're marketing Xavier as uh, or you're marketing your book as a Xavier fund, and now you're saying that you want your child to get a concussion so that you're rich for the rest of your life. Right. Well, I mean, my my next book in in 2015 will be uh, how to think like a concussion lawsuit winner. <laughs> yes. And I, so I'm just I'm. Just prepping for that. Uh, man, I thought it was just going to be like, or or you could just start writing columns uh, that are like, you know, the BuzzFeed worthy columns, like five ways to, to yeah. get a million dollars from, from oh, your child's concussion. Oh that would get like 80,000 page views. That oh. would, it would break servers all over America. All of the page views. <laughs> anyway, this is, this is a really rare podcast, I feel like, because not often do you uh, talk on a, an hour long or however long this goes. Uh, podcast about a single player, which is precisely what we're doing tonight. There's a lot, a lot of Jimmy Graham love going on, and being the hosts of Living the Stream and practicing streaming uh, of quarterbacks, uh, defenses, and tight ends, and giving recommendations based on opposition matchups throughout the year. Uh, we clearly have a differing view, uh, as a lot of of people do in the in the in the fantasy industry with regards to Jimmy Graham. You know. Uh, he he had a monster year last year, and now he had a monster year. He's had monster years throughout his career so far, and now uh, as a tight end, he is being drafted sometimes in the top half of the first round, which is just insane. So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're going to be talking about Jimmy Graham, and first of all, we'll get into why we think people like him and why he does why this is the case. I kind of just touched on that, but then we're going to talk about why we're Jimmy Graham hipsters. Why, why, why we are not about Jimmy Graham in, in the first round, which means that we're probably never going to own Jimmy Graham. Although, before we get started, a caveat here, I, I, I do own Jimmy Graham in a keeper league. You do, really? I do, yeah. It's, it's a fun fact. Fun but, little but fact. You, did you get him in, in like 2011? 
I didn't. I actually last year I traded for him towards the end of the year because it was a sunk season for. Well, middle of the year because it was a sunk season for me, and I wanted to win. It's a two keeper league, so I have him and Julio Jones for really, really cheap because he was being kept. So it was, it's an auction league, so he was being kept. So he's like super, super cheap. So he was like one of the prized possessions in the league. So I, I gave up the farm for him basically. That's. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I I think it's it's important to be. Uh, clear that in in this podcast it might sound like we are like we're ripping on Jimmy right. Graham and clearly he's this you know transcendent talent you right. know he's not even really a tight end as as is you know has been indicated in, in his recent contract negotiations I yeah. mean um, uh, he puts up um, you know what what actually uh, ends up being top ten or eleven wide receiver numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is remarkable and something, you know, he put up 303 PPR points last year. Insane. Uh, and, um, you know, as recently as four years ago, that was unthinkable. Right. Unthinkable that a tight end could put up that many points in, in one year. And so as as much as we are going to, you know, uh, try to kind of in a sober way offer alternatives to drafting Jimmy Graham at his current uh, ADP, we don't think any less of him than anybody else. He's right. he's extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. That's that's easily the key point. I mean, and I only say I don't want to be a fantasy douche whenever I bring up the fact that I'm or bring up my league and start talking about it. But <laughs> you know, the, the it's real. I mean, like Jimmy Graham is a very valuable fantasy asset. It's not that we're saying that he's not a valuable fantasy mm-hmm. asset. So know that going into this podcast, Jimmy Graham. We don't think Jimmy Graham is bad. We just don't like his value in fantasy football, which right, is and we, right, and we have to say this because Jimmy's listening, and Jimmy, right, has, absolutely, uh, absolutely, Jimmy. I see I'll, how, yeah. yes, I see how boisterous you are on the football field, and I just, I don't want any part of that. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Jimmy, we we love you. We really love you. That's right. Um. So let's just really quick. So, why do people love Jimmy Graham? Um. One of the things is. Uh, and you, if you want to touch on this, actually, because you kind of wrote an article today. I think it went out today, right? I read it. Yeah. I don't know if uh-huh. it was today or not. Um, on uh, on Jimmy Graham, and, and you kind of gave it a value-based drafting approach, kind of looking at the top players each position versus their baseline. So you do, do you want to just kind of talk about like why or what you found there and why you think uh, people view Jimmy Graham the way that they view him? Yeah, so I... I think that the the main argument for Graham going at his current uh, uh, number eight overall ADP is a value based drafting argument. As in, uh, he he is so superior to all other tight end options that he is worth that sort of investment with your with your first with with your first pick um, with your first round pick. Uh, so. I, I I don't you know as JJ will get into this in in a minute here. Uh, um, I don't abide by value based drafting. I think that it's uh, it's proven to be um, to to have its flaws and and to uh, to to go by it you know word for word um, every single season is going to um, I think hurt you in the long run. So, but that's the way it goes. That's that's the argument for Graham is that he is uh, so far. Above and beyond everybody, every other tight end. Mm-hmm. Th- that's why you need to take him. So I looked at it from that standpoint, and what I found that this is on xnsports.com. If if you all want to check it out, I looked at his dominance uh, of the tight end position compared to the dominance of 
the top scorers at other positions at quarterback, running back, and and wide receiver. And uh, you know uh, the the biggest difference between the number one uh, you know number one running back and number and the number twenty four running back, which remember this is we're talking about starting options. So in a twelve team league, um, you're going to have twenty four running backs starting at any given point. Um, it's it's around fifty five percent drop off from one to twenty four, um, which is which caught me by surprise. Fan, you're, and you're saying fantasy point production in this case. Fantasy point production, right? right. Yeah. Um, wide receivers, it, it, it sort of ranges, but it's around the 45, 46% mark over the past few years. And tight end, for, for tight end, Graham, uh, Graham scored 43% more fantasy points than the 12th highest scoring tight end of 2013. Um, and that is, that's, that's a lot. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's no, there's no way around it. Um, what that doesn't, it doesn't account for two things. Uh, one is, uh, sort of JJ's specialty, which is, um, opportunity cost and, uh, which is hardly really ever mentioned in the discussion of Jimmy Graham, mm-hmm. um, and his ADP. And the other is, um, the ability to 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 find viable streaming options with favorable favorable matchups and close that production gap that forty three percent production gap that he had last year. Um, I gave an example, and this is anecdotal, so take it for what it's worth. Um, I, I I don't love when 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 people use this sort of evidence, but um, it was it was something I felt like I should mention. It, in in one league, in my in my sort of most most successful. Uh, um, streaming league last year, I used a combination of six uh, streamers uh, to put up um, 205 fantasy points, which was one point uh, fewer, uh, one point less than uh, Jason Witten, who was the number six tight end last year. Uh, and that, uh, that reduced the gap, that production gap. You, you remember his, uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy Graham's gap was, was 43%. That that got it down to thirty one percent, and if you were uh, you know um, prescient enough to draft Julius Thomas late in drafts last year, uh, you would have um, you would have come up twenty eight percent short uh, of of Graham's total production. Um, and if if Thomas had played sixteen games, he was on pace uh, to to bring that gap down to eighteen percent. Mm-hmm. And remember. Julius Thomas was free last year. I mean, you got him at the end of your draft right before you picked your kicker. Um, so uh, there, I, there are ways uh, to close that gap, that Graham, Graham gap, as we'll call it, uh, whereas with, with elite running backs and wide receivers, um, you're not going to have that opportunity. Yeah. So that, that's, that, was, that was my argument. Yeah, and it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I think what was interesting with what you did was a lot of people, when they look at value-based drafting, they only look at pure point totals, whereas you made it more of a fraction and, and a percentage that people could kind of see like what that means in terms of, with, within, more so within relation to the position, which was why the percentage piece was interesting. But what, like you said, with value-based drafting, um, it's flawed. It's extremely flawed. And every argument you see for Jimmy Graham, number one, excludes the opportunity cost side of things, which we can talk about in a second. But number two, uh, it almost always thinks in terms of this value-based drafting principle. So value-based drafting, 
you uh, you know you have you you make projections for all these players at the beginning of the season, and then you compare whenever it's your turn to draft, you compare the the players that you could potentially draft versus a baseline player. So like Denny said, and like Denny did in his uh, article, is it's in in this case it's it's the best players versus the the worst starters uh, in in a fantasy league. But sometimes that baseline can shift, and that's actually. Uh, up for debate, which is why VBD is kind of flawed in in and of itself, because uh, baselines can shift. And Fantasy Douche actually did a really great article on this like three or four years ago, uh, basically saying how uh, the baseline for running backs, uh, running backs especially, should be much lower than what people use because running backs get hurt. So, I mean, obviously, because of that, uh, you you need a lower baseline to compare to. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are four, to me, there are four big, one of them, one of these four big things I just talked about, the baseline. So I'll talk about the other three things, why VBD is flawed. And I think this will give a good, um, kind of, at least give some evidence and, and uh, from a high level as to why we don't like Jimmy Graham in the first round. So number one, you're only using season-long statistics with VBD, and using season-long statistics only can be very misleading. Someone like Chris Johnson, who was ranked as a, I think, like the ninth best PPR back last year, finished 21st in the league in weekly top 24 performances. So that the reason for that is because he has these monster games, and then he's terrible. Um, so I think that's, that's where season-long statistics, they don't tell the whole story. Andy Dalton is another perfect example. Andy Dalton had only six top 12 performances last year, but he was the QB5. And it's, the, it's because Andy Dalton is basically, you know, Aaron Rodgers against bottom half defenses, and he's Geno Smith, on average, against top, top half defenses. Right. Um, but the other thing, which is actually even bigger than that, um, is that it doesn't factor in market value. So what I mean by that is whenever you're looking at VBD, you're saying, I'm going to compare this player to the baseline player. I'm going to compare this player at a different position to the baseline player. Well, that baseline player could be gotten in round six at running back, and maybe the baseline player can be had at round 12 at tight end, which right there you see a six-round difference in equity that you can get at those positions. So that's that's why it's, it's insanely important. Market value drafting is much, much, much more important to me than value-based drafting because you're there, there's, you know, there's ADP data out there for us to use. So use it, you know, when particular positions are going to get drafted, you know, when the 12th quarterback is going to go off the board, roughly, it's going to be within, you know, six to 12 picks of what that ADP typically is. I know it'll vary from player to player, but in general, that's how it works. Um, And then the last thing is, uh, you know, with regards to your projections, VBD doesn't factor in any sort of variance. You know, whatever your projections are, that is what is going to happen. Uh, and, and that, of course, is kind of arrogant from a, from a statistical perspective. I mean, you need some sort of confidence interval. You need, to, you need to have an understanding that you're not correct, which is why uh, drafting for position scarcity, you know, drafting for the positions that are in higher in demand, like running back and wide receiver – becomes of up the utmost importance because you're not going to the draft saying I know who's going to be good and I know who's not going to who's not going to be good because not mm-hmm. only can you not project that completely 100% accurately but people can get hurt so to go into a draft thinking that way is just it, it's flawed in and of itself which is why you don't just roster fill when you're drafting you're you're picking backups before you're drafting your defense and kicker and hopefully quarterback and tight end as well uh, but, you know, that's that's just kind of the way that it all works. 
Yeah, we should we should address roster filling at some point this summer. That's uh, yeah, no kidding. That's that's such an issue. Yeah. Um. So with regards to Graham, um, you know, I don't know how much how much you've looked into this with regards to like his his numbers last year, Denny. Like with any sort mm-hmm. of like regression or, or 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 something along those lines. If you want, I can start with it. If you want me to. Or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you can go ahead. Yeah. So I was looking a little bit at this. Uh, Earlier tonight, actually, and I've done some some work on Graham. I haven't published anything though. But uh, so last year, Jimmy Graham was ridiculous, which is is what you know we we we've been saying. Jimmy, you're listening. We love you. You're great. Uh, love you. But you know, so be, like the first five games of the season, or yeah, first five games before that New England goose egg, he was on pace for 118 receptions, almost 1,900 yards, and 19 touchdowns. Uh, like, which is just absurd. Like, if he if you could guarantee me. That production, sure, I'll take him in the first round, but you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't guarantee that. So, I actually I did a quick check uh, for regression, and I used uh, Number Fire's net expected points metrics. So, you know, real quick, net expected points is basically uh, every down and distance situation on a football field, uh, every every game situation period has has some sort of expected point value, and if a player uh, changes that expected point value on the next play positively, he gets attributed that. And if he, you know, fumbles or does something negative or loses yards or only gains two yards on a third and three, uh, he'll he'll uh, lose expected points based on that. Uh, you can read more about it on Number Fire. Um, but reception NEP is what we often use for receivers, which is basically how many points are, are these receivers adding on catches only, which is very important for fantasy because you're dealing with volume. You know, that's all that matters is what they do when they catch the ball. Uh, but when you divide that by the number of targets you get, you can kind of see more of an efficiency metric uh, with regards to uh, how well a player is performing. So the reason I use this for regression is because it's actually telling us what's going on on a football field based on what has happened historically. So if a player is doing really well um, in fantasy, usually it'll line up with net expected points. But because fantasy football is skewed so heavily uh, towards touchdowns, uh, because they're worth so many more points than, than yards, um, you can kind of see a, a difference whenever there's a, a dude that's very touchdown-reliant versus what he does in terms of net expected points. So I looked at Jimmy Graham's. And Jimmy Graham's uh, 2013 season was phenomenal. Like we said, you know, he was, but, but you also noted, Denny, earlier in the podcast that from a fantasy points perspective, it was unheard of, like the amount of points as a tight end that he scored. But, yeah, 303. Right, which is just, it's, it's absurd. So what I, what I did was I looked at every uh, tight end with similar um, reception numbers as he had. Uh, and I looked at their uh, per reception NEP per target since the year 2000. Jimmy Graham ranked sixth. He didn't rank first. He ranked sixth, meaning, you know, since net expected points doesn't necessarily skew towards touchdowns, it bas- it gives you a realistic view of how a player is performing. Jimmy Graham wasn't as good as his fantasy numbers say because he was scoring an absurd amount of touchdowns. And the reason for that is because 18.6% of his receptions last year were touchdowns. And in previous seasons, that number was 10.6%, 11.1%. Uh, and then during his rookie year, he got five, five touchdowns on 31 receptions, which was still you know, 2% less than what he had last year in terms of uh, touchdown uh, rate. So that's, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, people are not factoring in uh, any sort of regression from Jimmy Graham. And I think part of that... 
uh, is because um, he, uh, they're, they're blaming that injury that occurred last year uh, with, mm-hmm. with his foot. And if you look at when he was actually on the injury report, which was weeks 8 through 12, um, so a total of five weeks, in those five weeks, he ranked first, first, ninth, second, and then he wasn't in the top 12. Um, but he averaged uh, 18.66 PPR points per game during that mm-hmm. five-week stretch when he was injured, right? When he wasn't injured, the rest of the season, counting that week, uh, he averaged 18.97 points per game. So that injury literally did nothing to his fantasy production. So I don't want to hear about the injury playing a role as to why he regressed towards the end of the season. The reason he regressed towards the end of the season is because it's math. Because that's what happens. Because <laughs> it's math, yeah. Ooh. No, that, that, that's an important point. I'm, I'm glad you, you had that stat there uh, uh, about regression in, in uh you know, uh, touchdown percentage, um, a, a touchdowns as a percentage of his, um, total receptions. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, that, that is, that is something, uh, to focus on, especially after, a, a career high, uh, number like that. I will say that, you know, uh, as far as, uh, a discussion about Graham's regression goes, um, uh, the Rotoviz uh, similarity app, which, um, I turn to for sort of, you know, baseline projections, uh, for players, um, uh, and if you're not familiar with it, um, basically the similarity app takes uh, players with um, uh, you know similar age, uh, weight, height, um, and uh, it, their their past production, and um, it creates a a production for for one year ahead um, for each player. So for for Graham, that regression comes through in his in his median projection, which would give him. Uh, 245 uh, PPR points for the year. So remember, he scored 303 last year, right? So his median is 245, which, you know, to be fair, he would have still been the number one overall tight end last year in in, in fantasy by by a healthy margin. Uh, But it's nothing, you know, that, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, 58 points short Mm -hmm. of, of where he ended up and his high, his high projection. So, um, his his absolute top end projection puts him at 307, 307 points for the year, right. which which would you know it would be that last would be ins- it, and it would be, but it would be last year. So uh, when you are investing uh, a, a top you know maybe maybe even a top five pick, I'm not you know by by August I wouldn't be shocked if that was happening, um, but definitely a top ten pick when you're when you're investing that um, uh, it seems like. Uh, judging from these numbers, the ones that JJ was talking about, and the ones I just mentioned, that you are banking on his top end uh, prospects, right? Um, and that is that. That to me is a red flag, right? There, there's a lot of I think, I think there's a lot of issues uh, that people uh, run across when they're choosing first round selections. I mean, it, it's unbelievable how much scrutiny we put under and how, how much. How much we analyze first-round players in fantasy football from May until you know September when when games actually start? It's just everyone only wants to talk about who they're going to select first. It's just what happens. And yeah. what's really interesting to me is that people people are, are there's a lot of people who say I'm just going to take a safe bet, right? I'm just going to take Jimmy Graham because I know Jimmy Graham's going to finish as the number one tight end, so therefore Jimmy Graham is a safe bet. But there's so much that 
isn't safe about that bet. It's actually what people really don't realize or can haven't really comprehended is that Jimmy Graham being drafted earlier, and this goes for you know selecting Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers in the first round. Uh, when you select those onesie positions in the first round, what you're actually doing is building a team that's full of upside. It's not about it's no longer about risk aversion. You're actually trying to build a very high risk, high reward team, which is what you're doing with Jimmy Graham. But the problem, like you said, Denny, is that people are only looking at 2013 numbers when they're when they're trying to evaluate how good Jimmy Graham is. There are so many articles out there that are talking about well, Jimmy Graham was this much better than every tight end last year. And it's like, okay, well, Jimmy Graham was also historic last year. Like, why are we, why, this is the exact same argument that I had when I wrote the late round quarterback before I published that. And, and when I published that with regards to quarterbacks, it's the exact mm-hmm. same conversation. It's like, sure, you know, Aaron Rodgers was a, a magician and uh, Matthew Stafford turned into, into a unicorn in 2011 but but like how, why are we pretending that this is the new norm when it's happened one year? And I know that Jimmy Graham is a monster. He's a beast. He's a freak of nature. But to to bet on that because that's what you're basically doing. You're saying I need that production again next year, which is why I'm drafting him in the first round. I mean that's that's ludicrous to me. I mean it's crazy. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's not that his it's not that his upside is already baked into his ADP. All, all of his possible production is baked into his ADP. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he goes bonkers again and scores 300-plus points, mm-hmm. then he's, he's worth it. I, you know, I mean, I, then I guess, I guess that he is worth it as a top 12 or 15 pick, but uh, he, he hasn't exceeded uh, what, what you invested in, right. I guess what I'm saying. A lot, a lot of that reason too is, uh, what you briefly touched on earlier and that's opportunity cost. So, you know, again, what you'll find with every pro Jimmy Graham article, I guarantee you this, they're, they're not going to bring up opportunity cost because what opportunity cost is whenever I draft Jimmy Graham, I'm now foregoing the opportunity to draft other first round players. Obviously, this is different with auctions and stuff, but this, you know, we're only talking about snake drafts here. But auction is still the same idea. It's actually more economical and easier to understand because it's money driven. But, um, you know, with regards to snake drafts, it's, you know, I'm drafting Jimmy Graham. Jimmy, people are, the people who are writing these articles on Jimmy Graham are only talking about what happens when they get Jimmy Graham and how big of a difference maker he can be on a fantasy team. But the problem is what they, what they're not talking about is what you're foregoing. And in a lot of cases, what you're foregoing now is becoming Eddie Lacy. It's Demarius Thomas, who could easily be the number one wide receiver this year. It's potentially Calvin Johnson, Des Bryant, um, even a, even you know AJ Green. It's those definitely those elite wide receivers. Um, and then it's getting into that tier, that second tier of running backs, like the the Monty Balls, who has who has a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's the even DeMarco Murray, you know, if you're drafting Jimmy Graham, chances are you're going to get him in that seven spot-ish. You're not going to be able to get a DeMarco Murray on the turn. He's going to be gone if you're in a competitive league. Um, mm-hmm. So basically you're looking at, you know, so let's say, let's just pretend you draft Jimmy Graham. The second round comes, comes, and now you're saying, okay, I'm going to either get a running back or a wide receiver, more than likely, right? So mm-hmm. you look at the options and you say, oh, Le'Veon Bell or Julio Jones. And it's, you know, both of them are great options. But let's say that you, let's say that you go with Le'Veon Bell. Now you're in the third round, and your number one wide receiver is still vacant, 
and you look at the board and you're like, holy crap, I might have to have Vincent Jackson as my number one receiver when I could have had one of these elite guys that are going to bring me consistency at an inherently inconsistent position. And I understand that Jimmy Graham can do the same thing, but as we talked about earlier, you can get that late based on the market value of that position. Right. And I, I forgot to, to mention this um, a, a, a few minutes ago, but I, I think it's worth noting, and it's something that we've brought up on this podcast more than once, but um, you know, uh, tight ends um, every year over the past, well, at least four years, have uh, run more pass routes per game, have seen more targets per game, and uh, there have been more top 12 uh, tight ends, mm-hmm. uh, more tight ends who achieve top 12 finishes uh, uh, per season than, than ever before uh, each year. So as we go along, these barriers are broken. More targets, more pass routes, more opportunities, more tight ends achieving top 12 status. Um, so that you know that plays a role as as the position of tight end changes in general. Uh, um, you know, uh, I mean, not every team has made that that sort of transition, but a lot have. You're seeing uh, uh, more more athletic guys playing the position, uh, guys who look more like hybrid wide receivers um, um, than than they ever have. So it's uh, th- that that also you know plays a role in in you know our attempt to close that that Graham gap mm-hmm. and uh, I think that um, you're going to have um, a much better time um, a, a much uh, I guess more viable time closing that gap than you are uh, by trying to close the gap between um, you know tight ends outside I'm, I'm sorry running backs outside of the top 24 and Jamal Charles yeah. yeah and a lot of that has to do with the fact that only you know if you're in a 12-team league, only 20 tight ends, let's say, are rostered uh, in the in the entire league. Whereas you could have up to 50 to 60 running backs and wide receivers rostered. So clearly, uh, you know, although there are more that are that are playing the position, um, they're not readily available. They're just not. And if you look at weekly uh, data, the 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 number of usable players at running back and wide receiver that are readily available for you or even you know you're you're playing probability with all of this you mm-hmm. know like you what you're doing is you're building these these running back and wide receiver libraries that you can just throw I don't know why I said library there it's probably the really bad word to use but <laughs> you're you're building you're building these these giant platoons let's say and you're you're hoping that that all of them hit. You obviously want all of them to hit. But what's really interesting to me is that people keep talking. People are like, oh, but running backs bust in the first round all the time. Well, running backs bust more in the second round. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, 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 just look at the data. The reason why you think that they're busting is because they're finishing lower than where you drafted them. Whereas, and I understand last year is a little bit, it, I'm, it's more difficult for me to make that case, but I'm talking more historically. Um, it's it's very it's very difficult for a guy you're drafting second overall to fulfill that ADP. That's not the point. You're trying to get enough players that have high enough probability and high enough upside to obtain two RB ones. You don't just want an RB one and RB two. You want two RB ones. You want two wide receiver ones. Like that is that is the ultimate goal. So I always find it funny how people um, you know they're like oh but I'm gonna just pick a bunch of running backs in rounds five through eight and hopefully one of them hits and it's like hey dude I'm doing the exact same thing and I'm not drafting a tight end early 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and another factor that is probably, uh, a little premature to, to judge at the moment, but, um, everything I've read about the, the, the saints approach, offensive approach this year is, uh, more focused on, uh, establishing some sort of, some sort of ground game. Mm-hmm. And I, Look, I'm not saying that you know Drew Brees is going to suddenly be transformed into a, uh, an Alex Smith game manager type. Um, nothing against Alex Smith. I'm I'm Team Alex. You guys know that. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, uh, but you know, I mean, just looking at you know Brees's attempts, uh, he had 650 pass attempts last season, um, which was third. Um, Matt Ryan, only Matt Ryan and, and Peyton Manning threw the ball more. Uh, but you know, I mean, if if that if that drops by I don't know, 30, 40, 50, uh, then that, that, that affects Jimmy Graham's share of the pie. You know, I mean, he's, he's going to see his, uh, opportunities reduced along with the, um, likely regression in, in touchdown percentage, um, and everything we've talked about in, in, in that part of it. So, uh, I think that that's something to monitor if you really are, if you really are keen on the idea of um, investing your first-round pick in Graham, that that's something to monitor this offseason is the direction uh, of the New Orleans offense. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I will say, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of people who are uh, afraid to stream. It's the same people that are afraid to, you know, I'll push content about, especially when I first started doing all this, I'll push a lot of content about drafting quarterbacks late. And everyone get really excited. They're like, oh, this makes sense. This is great. I'm, this is really neat. And um, I say neat sarcastically, by the way, because neat is just neat. Neat is probably the best word that you can use. You love it. You love it. Oh, me. it's the best. So if I ever use <laughs> neat to you on Twitter, I'm probably being an asshole. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so uh, but what I'm saying is, you know, people get really excited about this idea that you can like tight end stream or you can quarterback stream or you can get these tight ends and quarterbacks really late, but they don't follow through with it. Um, so really quick, uh, Denny, I hope you don't mind. I think I sent this to you one day uh, about the coefficient of variation. It's just bas- it's some it's a mathy thing. It's, it's so complicated. I mean, I, I, I think I blacked out for like 10 minutes. So- <laughs> So, I mean, I wrote, I wrote articles about this on, on LateRoundQB.com when I was actually doing content there. Um, but let me just explain this concept to you as to why tight end streaming works better than you think. Because tight ends inherently are the, the most unpredictable of the big four positions. The most predictable position is quarterback. I'm talking about going into a week knowing who, you know, how a player is going to perform. Quarterback is most predictable, then running back, then wide receiver, then tight end. And the reason for that is obvious because quarterbacks control so much, then running backs, and then you know wide receivers rely on quarterback play, and then tight ends aren't even always on the field. Um, so in probability theory and statistics, the coefficient of variation is a normalized measure of dispersion of a probability distribution or frequency distribution. So essentially it tells you how much a data set varies. So the closer this, this coefficient of variation is to zero the more steady the data, the data set is and the more predictable the data set is. So basically you're saying, here's a data set, the coefficient of variation is zero, therefore I know that every week this guy's going to produce 10 points. Um, so I did studies looking at this, and what I did was I took all the four big positions and I broke them out uh, into different tiers. So 
And the reason I did that is because, you know, looking at just one player, you're not going to get as good of uh, a sample size. So I looked at um, wide receivers 1 through 10, wide receivers 11 through 20, and then running backs 1 through 10, running backs 11 through 20, quarterbacks 1 through 5, quarterbacks 6 through 10, and then tight ends 1 through 5, and tight ends 6 through 10. So what, you know, so what I found was that um, quarterbacks, like I said, are um, – are the, the most predictable. They, they don't vary as much as, as the other positions necessarily do. They're very steady from week to week. Um, but what I found was that once you get to running back and wide receiver 20, there's an insane drop-off in terms of coefficient of variation, meaning once you get past the wide receiver 20, once you get past the wide receiver 2s, there's just unbelievable uh, variance going on. It's just this crazy numbers going everywhere. Um, so this basically says that once you get past the top 20 at those positions, things from a weekly predictability standpoint, um, start to get a little bit crazy. But one of the biggest findings that I found from that, which is why you need an elite receiver in fantasy football, is that the elite receivers uh, have such a, a, a bigger impact in terms of this coefficient of variation, meaning they are so much more steady compared to the rest of their position than any other position in any other group in fantasy football. So the main reason you're getting a Calvin Johnson isn't for value-based drafting purposes. It's so that you're plugging and playing a guy that is going to be very predictable each week. Um, but the, So the reason I'm bringing this up in the first place is uh, basically quarterbacks 16 through 25, so these are guys that are just like chilling on, on the waiver wire, um, they're more predictable than any wide receiver 1, RB1, or tight end 1. So quarterbacks that are ranked 16 through 25, they are, from a week-to-week perspective, you can predict them better than you can uh, an elite wide receiver or running back just because of the way that the position is. And it makes sense because the majority of NFL quarterbacks are throwing 30-plus times per game, so you're able to see kind of how game flow is going to dictate that. Um, so, But with regards to tight ends, which is what this is all about, those top five tight ends to the next group to the next group, the difference between those two is much more linear than it is the other three positions, meaning the drop-off is, is is very consistent, and it's not that there's not an insane drop-off like you find at running back and wide receiver. Meaning, once you get to the tight end streamers, sure they're they're very they're a lot less predictable, but so are the the tight end starters. They're incredibly predictable as well. The Vernon Davises, the Jordan Camerons, they're all very unpredictable. So long story short, your tight end streamers are just as hard to predict uh, the outcome for. Uh, as the traditional tight end starters in your fantasy league um, mm-hmm. compared to you know the other positions in fantasy. So what that, what that does for you is it should provide, I know that it's really, really mathy and might be hard to understand, but what it basically tells you is that uh, tight end streaming, you know, it, it is very, very unpredictable and it's very, very difficult to do, but that's okay because tight ends are just inherently extremely unpredictable. Exactly. Yeah. No. I, that's a great way of of distilling uh, a lot of um, complex information and and making it, you know, making it actionable. I mean, you know, you 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 did a lot of uh, a lot of work on that, and it wasn't just to kind of you know flex your statistical muscles, but to uh, actual, which are very nice, by the way. Thanks. I, I mean, appreciate I, it. I've I, been working on. I, them. I know you've been working them out. I have. I have. I go to the Wait. gym and I just stare at at pie, like the actual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> baby oil and whatnot anyway uh the um uh but but that that's what that's what jj saying you are uh streaming 
because even if you whiff now and again, it's okay. Right. You're Even if you whiff, it does not matter because Vernon Davis is going to whiff at a higher rate than uh, other you know, wide receivers or running backs. It's just the way that the tight end position is. And I'm not saying that Jimmy Graham is that way. I understand that that's the, an advantage that Jimmy Graham gives you. Uh, but at the same time, I think it also shows you that tight end streaming in general is a viable option. Uh, so although I'm contradicting myself a bit, um, it's still, I think, helpful based on the market value piece of things uh, with regards to tight end streaming that you should feel comfortable doing it. So where where would you take Jimmy Graham in a, in a, in a magical world in which he did not fall, go in the first round? Yeah. Would, would you take him if you had maybe, I don't know, like a mid to second round yeah. pick? Is he worth it there? I think I think that's when it it starts to get where where his value starts to you know come about. I mean, I think I have him in like that fifteen to twenty range ish, um, and that's admittedly pretty subjective because I mean, realistically, the way that I draft is I'm going based on position scarcity and tiers. So you're going through this draft and you're saying this is the more scarce position. I mean, that's that's how I'm drafting, I'm building up those uh, those scarce positions that I know that I'm hitting at those positions. So mm-hmm. if, if I were to get Graham in a, in a draft, um, you know, I think that I think that one thing is that if you're in a league with a bunch of noobs, you could probably get away with getting Graham early. <laughs> you know, and and the other thing too, and you know, I, I think that a lot of people are gonna draft Jimmy Graham and they're gonna win their league and they're gonna say Jimmy Graham won my league for me. And that's going to happen. That happened with Peyton Manning last year. And I heard a lot of crap from people. And it's like, they're like, oh, yeah, how'd, how'd Peyton Manning work out for you? And it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah, all right, right. cool, yeah. sweet, bro. Like, you know, you have to think of it from a higher level. And right now we're speaking to math and we're speaking to probability. We're not speaking to your individual team. We're speaking to how you can better uh, help your odds, you know, in winter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the the Peyton thing uh, last year is, is such an outlier, and if you got him wherever you you got him in the third or fourth round of your draft, then uh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But but I you know I don't I I don't think that that it was uh, you know our our analysis or just the general analysis of the quarterback uh, position and the replaceability changes mm-hmm. after that. Right. So it's, um, where where but, where would you take Graham? Uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't take him. I would not take him at the start of the second. Like if if I was picking at the end of the first, and say just say, you know, for argument's sake, if I had the the last pick of the first round, mm-hmm. um, and I just had back to back picks. Um, I said this the other day. I I've had that in a mock, and I love the start of um, uh, Brandon Marshall and Jordy Nelson at that point. Yeah, that's um, yeah. And so that that's what I just for an example that's what I would do. I would do that without hesitation, uh, without throwing Graham in that mix. Yeah. Uh, it would it would you know down down in the in the bottom of the second it would it would seem intriguing. Uh, um, I I definitely would take him in the third round. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the 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 math says that that that's where um, that's where you could get some you know some some equity. Yeah. From from Graham and and the pro but the problem is then you're starting to get to the the Gronk territory. If Gronk is healthy, I mean he's the same kind of it's the same kind of player. If we if we were to guarantee 16 games from both players, I mean 
we would be we would probably be having a similar conversation right now with Gronkowski. Of course, and and if if you so if if your league mates are are scared off by Gronkowski uh, Gronkowski's injuries, which they probably will be, and and maybe they're right uh, with with everything he has going on. I mean, what he had the he had like the forearm, the, the, well, back, the back, yeah. back back all the way back to college. He had the concussion last year, the knee uh, the you know, knee destruction, yeah. as they call it in, in right. medical terms. Um, uh, and, and, uh, so there is, you know, obviously a lot of reason there to work, but if, if, if he drops, you know, into that third or fourth round, he could be the steal of the year by a long shot. Right. There. Um, uh, uh, Rich Rebar on Twitter, uh, this morning had some great stats showing why, you know, when healthy, uh, Graham, uh, uh, Gronkowski is simply a superior option right. to Graham. Right. Yeah, so look that up if you get a chance. It's kind of funny because we, you know, I, I just, I, I don't really get it. I, I think that, like, obviously there's health risks with Gronkowski right now, but if, if you're really going to go tight end early, I don't understand why Gronkowski isn't part of that list or part of that for you. I mean, I guess it's just hesitation based on not knowing what's going to happen exactly, uh, but it'll be really interesting to kind of see how Gronk, uh, how that all plays out. I will say one thing that uh, I think also goes overlooked a lot is I actually think that drafting Jimmy Graham is a better idea than drafting some of like the fourth to sixth round tight ends uh, based on what he can provide and the upside. It's again, it's that whole idea of just like going completely upside in your draft and just trying to get, you know, like I understand what Jimmy Graham can bring to the table, uh, but it's, it's, it's basically, you know, it's, it's like a Sean Siegel uh, zero RB move. You, you know, you're basically, you're trying to be contrarian because you know uh, what that contrarian move can provide. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at, if you look at it, so like Vernon Davis, I have no idea why he's in the fifth round. I, yeah. I'll never draft Vernon Davis. And Vernon Davis, I mean, if you look at week to week, um, I mean, Vernon Davis was, was the number four uh, weekly consistency guy, but he was tied with, with Greg Olson. Um and then, you know, like right below them are guys like Jordan Cameron, obviously. Uh, but then you get into like Antonio Gates and Charles Clay, and you're getting these guys, you're in just a bunch of guys you're getting in the in the 13th round. So mm-hmm. there's really not a big difference and a big gap between a guy like Vernon Davis. I understand there's a lot of legs with Jordan Cameron right now. I understand the allure with Jordan Cameron. But it's still, it's kind of the same idea, for me at mm-hmm. least. Yeah, uh, you know, I I don't know if I would rather take one of the one of the you know the Cameron or, or Vernon Davis types or Jimmy Graham uh or or Graham in the first because that's the option right that's what we're talking yeah, about yeah 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 um I mean uh where, where is I don't even know where where Jordan where uh Jordan Cameron's going right um now. fantasy football calculator has Cameron at 6.01 and Davis at 5.07 which is admittedly lower than what I thought where I thought they were going I thought they were more in the fourth and fifth um yeah but yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, if you're not drafting for position scarcity, if you're just kind of draft, like, I feel like you're just going for an upside play. Yeah, and and I mean, the thing is with, with that as well, and and uh, this this harkens back to why another reason it can be harmful to invest so highly in a quarterback is that if you get Jordan Cameron, who's spo- who's supposed to be, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, elite, right. Uh, you are never going to bench him 
And right. Yeah. Totally. And you know, even when there are superior plays on the waiver wire, even when guys are emerging everywhere as viable tight end options, and even when Jordan Cameron is you know proving to be kind of a um, a, a scatter shot option in an offense that is you know could run the ball five hundred times this year, um, you're still because you you went with a you know went with him in the fifth or sixth round. You're still going to start him no matter what. Yep. So you know, and 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 that comes back to the kind of the false argument with Jimmy Graham uh, um, proponents and Jimmy Graham in the first round pro- proponents, which is which is this: um, uh, give me my Jimmy Graham against your against your Charles <laughs> right, Clay right. day, and and that but that's not you know that's not how it works. Th- th- thankfully, that's not how it works. <laughs> right. Because if I draft Charles Clay and like. The ninety fourth round. Right. I'm not going to start him every week, and I, you know, I have no intention to. And I'm not. I'm not even highly invested in him. I'm totally. not even invested enough to, um, you know, to 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 feel like I need to do that. Right. So, right. Um, so that that's 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 the false argument when when you say, you know, when you want a difference maker and and is Delaney Walker a, do, a difference maker? Well, no. He's not, right. but he can't be. Right, right. I mean, the whole the whole thing. I mean, what you do with your tight end pick is you basically just find a guy late that has a bunch of upside that could be Julius Thomas. Like that's what you want. You want a guy that's going to be the next Julius Thomas when you're drafting a tight end late because it doesn't matter if he doesn't pan out. And when that's the problem with, again with a typical VBD analysis when it comes to projecting is that I'm not starting the same tight end every freaking week. You know that's just not the way that it works. Yeah, and I I think that if if people you know if, if listeners would give this a chance, um, like a real chance, uh, um, really commit to streaming tight ends, I think that you would would find that um, even if even if you whiff now here here and there and and that happens it happens to me it happens to JJ. No, it doesn't. Uh, no, never. Well, I should. I shouldn't say that. not with your not with your statistical muscles bulging everywhere, <laughs> yeah. but uh, the uh, but you know it happens. But but I think that you will find just just on an anecdotal basis that wow, I that didn't hurt. You know right. that I I'm still my team is still solid. I'm still stacked at wide receiver. I still have solid running backs. Anyway, I just I think that giving it a real chance, and I think that a lot of people last year, from what I gathered on Twitter, was they they went into the season. With the intention of streaming, they got stung once, yeah. and they said, "Nope, nope, nope, not doing that again." Right. I'm, I'm going back. I'm starting. I'm starting uh, Jared Cook every week, no matter what. Right. Yeah, uh, not Jared. No one did that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they did. The thing, though, too, is that like even if you listen back to somewhere, I'm not. This isn't even like a pat on the back on from our perspective. But if you listen back to some of our podcasts, the recommendations that we gave. Um, it, it, I mean, we could have been more. We have fun on the podcast. We're not like super like you need to start this guy. We're giving no. recommendations, but like at the same time, uh, we we recommend. I mean, like I'm I'm just like we recommended Jordan Reed far before his breakout. You know, like we like right. like there are guys, and you had Julius Thomas week one, week one, yeah, the breakout game. You had Julius Thomas as a tight end sleeper or as a tight end streamer, and right. and it, and Julius Thomas is now. A borderline second round ADP guy. Yes, exactly. And, and look at uh, we had you know I think I, I missed on Garrett Graham uh, like twice last year yeah. in a row. Um, 
because the Texans offense was such a uh, dumpster fire. But um, uh, we we also we hit on you know Delaney Walker, yeah, uh, yep. Kobe Kobe Fleener, yep. uh, a, a couple times the Fleener, um, and uh, um, uh, Tim Wright. Oh yeah, uh, Timmy Wright, man. When it was clear that 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 he had become like you oh. know the red zone guy, and Charles Clay, of course, he, and he was like he was like a staple. We had him every single week on the podcast. Well, well, we started. Oh, you know, all we. I feel like we we had an entire podcast dedicated to Dustin Keller um, <laughs> yeah. until until his knee was wrecked, and then and then you know Keller became Clay. Yeah, you know, so Keller Keller became Clay. Yeah, I was so. By the way, I just remember being so excited. I think Clay got a goal line carry in, in early in the season, yeah. and punched it in. And I was like, I, I was, I was freaking out. I was like, this, this is like a new dimension in Titan streaming. <laughs> <laughs> like Charles Clay is going to transform it's, the way. We- it's the it's the Konami code for tight ends. Right, right. The 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 tight end who's also a goal line back. I just I was like I was just like flabbergasted. Oh, that's awesome. I think I I think I spent like my whole free agent budget on Charles Clay everywhere. Oh, but man. but the thing is like you're only starting one tight end, so it's very like we you know like we always say there. It doesn't appear like tight end is deep, but tight end and quarterback are always going to be deep just because you're only starting one at the position. That's just the way fantasy football works. And until you're playing in a two tight end league with a super flex. And two quarterbacks. I don't know what Superflex has to do with it. Um, <laughs> then, I mean, then things start changing. I get that question all the time. Like, what if I'm in a two QB league? Yeah, sure. Things things definitely change. Uh, and if you're in a tight end premium league, like, yeah, things change a little bit. I get it. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're speaking to the masses. We're so, so tight end premium league, just for it, people who are unfamiliar, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's where a tight end gets 1.5 points right. per reception. Right. And I mean, obviously, like, like the replaceability aspect of things, that's the thing that's tricky, is I get the question a lot, I know this is kind of going on a tangent, but we have like seven minutes left before we hit an hour. Um, but like the replaceability thing with quarterbacks, um, you know, I, I get questions a lot, and they're like, well, what if it's a a six-point-per-touchdown quarterback league. So clearly, like, it's going to separate um, the the elites from, from the lesser guys, you know, at the position. But at the same time, it doesn't change the, the aspect of replaceability. Mm-hmm. That still stays consistent. So I don't want people to overstate what a six-point – like, I get questions all the time. They're like, oh, like, people are, like, trying to, like, make me feel good that because they drafted a quarter – like – they, like they feel bad when they draft a quarterback early, and I'm like, mm. I'm not gonna hate you. I just hate the way that you play fantasy football. But, <laughs> but they like, so they'll be like, they'll be like, but this is a this is a quarterback happy league. Like everyone everyone drafts quarterbacks early because court, you need a quarterback. And usually when they say you need a quarterback, it's because it's a six point per touchdown league. Um, mm. But really, it doesn't change nearly as much as people think because of that replaceability aspect. And the same the same goes for tight end premium. So I, I I would actually bet like Jimmy Graham goes number one in tight end premium leagues. Yeah, well I I just did a quick uh, um, quick math on on Graham last year in a tight end premium league, he would have scored three hundred and forty seven PPR points. Right. Or I mean, I guess PPR plus whatever it is. Anyway, that would have been that would have been uh, uh, thirty points more than the top scoring wide receiver. Yeah. So yes. 
that changes things. Yeah, so I mean, he becomes <laughs> he becomes a complete monster. I mean, yeah, like, I, but but I think yeah. I mean, I think I think when you are starting when when the supply of players starts to decrease when you're starting more players that can have a bigger impact usually whenever you don't have a freak of nature like Jimmy Graham that can have a much bigger impact than changing scoring mm-hmm. in general so if you just have a traditional lineup still you should usually approach things in the same way yeah agreed sweet i think that so we we covered a, a crap ton just now um mm-hmm. We, we looked at why people love Jimmy Graham and why we're Jimmy Graham hipsters, looked at his numbers and why they should regress, looked at value-based drafting, looked at opportunity cost, uh, talked about market value, um, and then I got into a coefficient of variation rant. That's my, that's, that's my rant for tonight. I don't know if you're ranting. Are you ranting tonight, Denny? I'm, I'm, I'm rant-free. Yeah. I'm kind of I, – I think that the ranting will probably – pick up once the season starts and once we get really pissed off at our fantasy teams and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually the way that it goes. Or or when people just start like just annoying the absolute hell out of us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Not not people yeah. list I mean like other writers and stuff. <laughs> but but we'll we'll do so passive aggressively. Oh yeah, that's I mean the the rant is basically a way for us to passive aggressively get angry at people. Right, right. It's it's healthy, I think. Yeah, totally healthy. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> getting getting angry uh passive aggressively to an audience of six uh about someone of course yeah it's doctor recommended i mean i think i think it's i think without it i think that our lifespan would be trimmed collectively yeah i agree so i think that that pretty much wraps it up do you have anything else to add about about the gramster um i don't he will come up obviously again uh i i'm really interested to see the new you know in in July and August, any sort of chatter about the Saints making a, even a small offensive shift and and what that can mean yeah. for for Graham. But um, so we will revisit this uh, because as far as streaming goes, uh, he's the most important person in the universe. Yeah, for sure, yeah. he he really is. Anyway, all right, Denny. Well, where can everyone find you at? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at cdcarter13. Uh, they can also buy my book. Yes, which, uh, I, I book. only no, I don't know. I only I only put it on Twitter like forty times a day, so I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. But it's uh, how to think like a daily fantasy football winner. Uh, it is available on Amazon for two hundred ninety nine pennies, and um, on iTunes as well uh, for for the same price. Um, and uh, check, uh, check out our site, uh, my site, and, and JJ is a consultant there, uh, uh, draftdayconsultants.com, if you'd like some consultation for your upcoming drafts. Yeah, which I'm sure if you end up getting Denny or me, uh, we will not be telling you to draft Jimmy Graham. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm JJ Zacharyson. You can, of course, find my stuff uh, over at numberfire.com. Uh, most recent one was my Jay Cutler love story. Um, uh, you can find that stuff over there. I'm on Twitter at late round QB. Uh, but that that about wraps it up. I appreciate it, Denny. You ready to get some milkshakes? Yes, please. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We will hopefully catch you sooner rather than later. Thank you for listening to Live in the Stream. We hope you enjoyed the internet podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes now. It won't take long. It's fast. For more fantasy.
Share about the team.